Well, work relationships can be pretty stressful, can't they? From the mouths of babes, they tell us. Pretty cute kid, too, I might add. <laughs> well, so good to be back with you here this morning. My name is Adrian. I'm the lead pastor here at Carney Free. I've been gone the past couple Sundays, and while well, I've been gone these last two Sundays, uh, Brian Klein and Tim Stratton did a great job filling in. So thankful for, for them and for this church as a whole that's not dependent on any individual or any family. Uh, my wife and I and our kids traveled to Colorado and Oregon to visit our families, and we had a, a really good holiday visiting them. But we've missed being with you and really glad to be back here today, to be back home, and uh, fortunate to be a part of this church family. I, I hope you know how good you have it here. You really do. We have a wonderful church family that is warm and inviting and welcoming, and we live in a great town and a beautiful place, and we're really fortunate to be here with you. This morning, we're going to start a new message series, and it's a continuation of the message series that we uh, finished up in middle of December on the book of Philippians. And the first three chapters of Philippians, we labeled Joy Beyond the Trial, in which we talked in chapters 1 through 3 about some of the various trials that Paul and the Philippian church were experiencing there in the first century, and how Paul explained to them they could have joy far beyond whatever earthly circumstances they might go through, in part because we have the gospel, which welcomes into God's full love and His full embrace. No matter what we might be going through, we are in Him, and therefore we can have joy beyond our circumstances. And we celebrated the reality of the Incarnation, Philippians 2, this past Christmas. And, and of course, while well, we remember where Paul says there in chapter 3 that, that uh, Christ has given us His righteousness. We have that now. We have His righteousness. And out of that, Paul makes a transition now in chapter 4. And he'll refer to joy again in chapter 4 a couple times. But his emphasis here in chapter 4 focuses more now on peace dealing with worry, dealing with anxiety. And as he makes this turn, we've decided to do a four-week series on dealing with some of our most common anxieties, our most common worries, and how we might grow in peace in the midst of them. And so for the next four weeks, we'll look at uh, peace in our relationships, that's today, and then peace within us, peace in our soul, how we can exchange anxiety for peace how we can grow in peace amidst difficult life circumstances, amidst uh, circumstances uh, that, that we would not wish to be in, but we are in, and how we can have financial peace as well. So that's where we'll go here for these four weeks in January as we march through uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we look at a number of other passages uh, that speak about uh, peace and worry and anxiety in the Scriptures as well. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament speak frequently on this theme because it's a universal can I get an amen? It is for all of us. And Jesus uh, refers to this issue himself as he's preparing his disciples for his coming crucifixion in John chapter 16. And he said this, I've said these things to you, what I've just taught you over these years and in my preparation for my death, that in me you might have peace. Because in this world you will have tribulation, he says. But take heart. I have overcome the world, and in me you will have peace. Let's take a quick motion. Everyone who would like some more peace this morning, say I. Okay? Anyone who doesn't want more peace this morning, say no. No, okay. 
The motion passes 500 to 1. First service was 100%. This service very close to 100%. We all want more peace. And it is found in Christ. It's found as our lives are increasingly enveloped in the love and in the mercy and the hope of Christ as we increasingly relate to Him. We can gain a growing peace. This morning, well, we want to focus us specifically on peace within our relationships. But I, I wonder here, but before we get there, I, I won't um, ask a poll on this, though I could. Do we have any chronic warriors in the house? Anyone? Just a few? I'm guessing we have a number of chronic warriors. You know, you, you worry when you're going into the holiday season, and then you worry right in the holiday season, and then you worry again when you get out of the holiday season. Anyone? Or you worry about your kids, and you worry about your parents, and you worry about your spouse, and you worry about your cousins, and you worry about your stepbrother's nephew three times removed. We got some warriors in the house, I am sure. And some of us worry even when we're not worried. Like, why aren't I worried about something? I should be worried about something right now. Some of us are just chronic worriers. Not all of us have that. We all have something. But all of us are affected by worry. All of us struggle with anxiety some of the time. And so I want you to know this series is for you. Whether you struggle a lot with this or not, I'm guessing all of us would like more peace in our relationships. I'm guessing all of us would like a greater sense of peace within ourselves in the midst of frustrations that we experience or past hurts or future concerns. And whether you have been a Christian for 40 years or you're brand new to Christ or you just got drugged into church this morning kicking and screaming, I promise you, the Scripture speaks to where you are. So what we want to do is take our most common anxieties and worries and go to the very best source available and simply ask God for some help. So we're going to start this morning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. If you would turn with me there, you'll find it over in the New Testament. And that comes after Romans and 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. I don't hear many Bible pages turning. You guys just reading it on your phone? Show me your... Okay. Lots of phones facing back at me now. Okay. Very easy. So Philippians chapter 4, if you get over to Colossians or Thessalonians, you've gone a little bit too far. Too far. Revelation, way too far. Turn back to Philippians chapter 4. And if you still don't have it, thank God he's given us a table of contents. That's a good thing to use. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's saying, because of the gospel that we've been talking about in chapters one through three, because Christ came and he gave himself up for you, because he's given his righteousness to you, because we now know Christ and are found in him, stand firm. Stand firm. Because all these things are true of us, we can stand firm in him, and we are his beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Would you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, we ask that you would teach us from your word. It is the everlasting word of God. It is able to pierce through our hearts. It is able to make a difference in our lives. So we avail ourselves to you, God, that you would teach us. As we seek to fight anxiety and grow in peace within our relationships, we admit that we are not very good at this. And so we surrender to you. We ask for your guidance that perhaps, in spite of what I say, even beyond what I say this morning, you would do a great work in us that would lead us to a deeper level of peace in our relationships. We love you, Lord. We'll be careful to give you all the credit for the work you do. It's in the name of Christ we pray together. Amen. Well, relationships, being in the workplace, as we saw in that video, or with mom and dad, or in our life group, in our church family as a whole, relationships with brother and sister, with son and daughter, with in-law, or in-law, or in-law, can be difficult, to state the obvious. They can make us feel detached and unraveled. And so we want to lay the groundwork this morning and give the ABCs, if you will, for growing peace in our relationships. Here's letter A. We begin by acknowledging our own failures. You want to grow in peace in your relationships, it begins here. You acknowledge where you have missed the mark. You acknowledge your own failures. You acknowledge your own personality foibles. You acknowledge your background and how your own background contributes to the relational tension that is currently felt. And particularly, you acknowledge your own sin and how it has affected the relationships that you're in. The occasion for this section of Paul's letter is a disagreement between these two ladies within the walls of the church. Now, I'm sure that has never happened with any church that you've ever been a part of. But it did happen here in Philippi. In ancient Macedonia, there was this tension between these two ladies, and everyone knew about it. If you can imagine, here in about 50 AD, this is a church of maybe 40 or 50 people that's meeting on a dirt floor with limestone brick walls and a thatched roof hut. And whenever they got together, they all knew that Udia and Syntyche didn't get along. And in a small church like that, that would be known by everyone. And so Paul tells them, agree together in the Lord. But how do we do that, Paul? Well, he doesn't say that explicitly here. He gives some advice, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I think the first step that he would say is, remember those teachings of Jesus that have been circulating already in oral form to, to this time? Matthew chapter 5, those teachings of Jesus, they hadn't been written down yet by the time Paul is writing, but, but they were circulating through oral tradition, which was so strong well, within the Jewish world of that day. And they would have already heard that Jesus once had this teaching over in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, that if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the temple before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, first be reconciled to your sister, and then come and offer your gift to God. In other words, Jesus is saying there, if you have something wrong with someone who is made in the image of God, 
Go get right with that person made in the image of God before you come to the temple and worship God. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess. There's this tragedy within the modern church that we are quick to confess our sins to God, but we are very slow to confess our sins to one another. We expect God's immediate forgiveness, but we find it so incredibly difficult to forgive another or to go to another and admit, I have missed the mark here. I confess that to you. Many of us are not nearly as good at this as we would like to be, which results in holding on to worry and fear and anxiety over relationships when it is totally unnecessary. Much of that fear and anxiety and worry in relationships can quickly be dealt with if one person has the courageous humility to go to another person and say, I've missed it here. I acknowledge my personal area of failure. We need to get far better at this. We need to learn how to agree to disagree and then maintain fellowship with those who differ from us. Well, I mean, what's the main reason that we do not acknowledge our failures to one another? Anyone? It's pride, I just heard. It's pride. 100% of the time, it's pride. She, she was mostly in the wrong, so she needs to come toward me. Who cares who's mostly in the wrong? It's pride who says that. Oh, it's mostly her fault. Humility, courageous humility says, I may only be partly in the wrong, but I'm going to go out of my way to bless this person. I'm going to go out of my way to get right with this person and admit my part, in the very least, in this argument that's been simmering beneath the surface. It's pride simmering in the heart that prevents people from getting back together. Again, think about this. In Matthew chapter 5, in a Jewish context, in a first century Jewish context, the highest form of worship was bringing a gift to the temple, bringing an offering to God. And there, Jesus says, as you're about to bring that offering to God at the temple, and something comes to your mind as you're about to do so, oh, I have this brother that I have something against, or this brother has something against me, uh, stop that worship in this moment, leave it on the outside of the temple, and go get right with that brother first. Then come back to the temple and, and then commence the worship that you began when you first came here. That's really shocking well, when you think about that. The highest form of worship in ancient Judaism was going to the temple and offering to God. And Matthew says, if you remember, Jesus says, if you remember that someone has something against you, just pause and go get right with that person first. I had a friend years ago back in Colorado who I remember uh, allowed the communion elements to pass by her in the row on a Sunday morning in which she knew that she had done something wrong to a friend of hers. She had said something wrong about a friend of hers, and she got convicted of that as the communion time came on the first Sunday of the month, much like we do it here, first Sunday of the month while we take communion. You can just imagine the communion elements are coming. And she realizes, as she's about to take, that I've done something wrong to someone else. And she received that conviction, and she allowed the communion elements to, to go forward. And then that week, 
she went out of her way to go apologize to this woman that she had wronged. And then next time communion came, she took it with liberty. That's a bold move. But that's a godly step. That's taking seriously how strongly the Scriptures speak to reconciliation within our relationships. Now, you may only be 10% in the wrong for some relationship that has gone off the tracks, and you can still be the one who humbly goes out of your way and makes it right. That's not weakness. That's godly strength. You probably don't want to go to someone and say, I think I was 10% in the wrong. That probably won't help. You go out of your way and say, I think I missed it here. And then you seek to get on the same page. You, you humbly admit your failure, and then you ask for forgiveness for your part. And I tell you, this is a huge way that Jesus will form us. You want to be formed to the image of Christ? You want to grow in your spiritual formation? A big part of the way that we grow in our spiritual formation is humbly going before others and admitting our wrongs. And even if they do not reciprocate, God will join in and He will change you, He will grow you, He will bless you, He will build you up, He will reward you as you follow Him in this very difficult task of acknowledging your own failures. The good life, my friends, the good life is not win-lose when it comes to arguments. Okay, I, I was raised in sports, and it's always win-lose. When it comes to relationships, it's not win-lose. You look for win-win. How can we see win-win in this? So how can I humbly come before you, not seeking to show that I am right and you are wrong, but how do we seek not so much who's right and who's wrong, but how do we get back together on the same page? It starts with being big enough to acknowledge our own part in the matter. Then second, we bring in backup help when necessary. Bring in back help, back, back up. Sometimes we can work through our struggles alone, and sometimes we need wise, thoughtful counsel from other people who have a higher level of wisdom with a certain situation than we do. And there's no shame whatsoever in bringing in backup help when we're dealing with some kind of friction in a relationship. That's what Paul says here in verse 3. He says, I ask you, true companion, help these women. True companion, it's a specific person that he is asking, help these women who are not agreeing together right now. Well, we don't know who the true companion is that Paul is referring to here, but your uh, Bible translation might actually say loyal yoke fellow. Who, who has that in their Bible translation? Loyal yoke, yoke fellow. That's actually a better translation of the original Greek word. He's, he's saying, you, my loyal yoke fellow, you who I am yoked together with, we are such good friends, it's like we're yoked together, much as two oxen would be yoked together, and they're always walking in step as a result. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these two. Wouldn't you love to be called a loyal yoke fellow? A true companion? Oh, they, this person, he's a, he's a loyal yoke fellow. I can go to him, and I know he'll have my back. I know he'll walk in step with me. I'd like to be that kind of friend. So Paul's asking his friend, Loyal Yokefellow, would you please help these two ladies? We used to labor all together for the sake of the gospel, and now they're not on the same page with each other. So I'm bringing in backup help. I ask that, that, that you would work with them and to admit that we need each other. 
And to admit that God has equipped the body of Christ with all kinds of wonderful gifts, including wisdom and the ability to mediate and to discern and to bring about reconciliation, that, once again, is a godly move. To admit that you need help and to bring in backup is a godly move. Here's a principle. If you know two people that are not at peace with each other and you have peace with both of them, cash in your influence and help produce peace. Let me say that again. If you know two people who are not at peace with each other and you have peace with both of them, a godly move is to cash in that influence and help them find peace by getting on the same page. That is a bold, courageous, but godly move. That's what a loyal yoke fellow does. He helps these two people get on the same page. This is why I encourage so strongly that every adult in here would be in a life group because loyal yoke fellows emerge out of life groups. When you're in a small group of 10 people, five or six men, I need five or six men who are consistently in my life who are encouraging me, who are keeping me accountable, who are helping me to see when I'm getting off the rails, who are helping me through my own personal anxieties and my own sin issues, who are helping me through relational challenges. Well, when I have them, that, that's able to happen in a small group in a way that it could never happen in this room or even in an adult education class. But if we're in a life group, we can ask that from one another. I've made it my habit over the course of my Christian life to always have several wise, older men in my life who can instruct me when I fail. I have a profession that frequently struggles from the malady known as foot-in-mouth disease. And I've had that illness. And so, there's this need that I would identify that weakness and bring other people into my life who do not have that same illness, and they would help me when I fall into that, or they would help me when I'm racked with anxiety about something within. We need each other. We just need each other. Acknowledge your own failure. Bring in backup help when necessary. And then just commit. Commit to working it out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of bigger purposes. Again, we don't know all the details of the relationship between these two ladies, only that at one time they contended side by side with the gospel, side by side with the Apostle Paul for the sake of the gospel. Quite a, an item on their resume. They were ministry leaders together with the Apostle Paul for the sake of the gospel. At one point, they were in harmony for that much bigger purpose, but for some reason at this point, they're no longer in harmony with each other. And so Paul is very concerned with that, and he says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Agree together. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Again, you just imagine this. They're reading this letter on Sunday morning in the church. Perhaps they're reading other Old Testament scriptures or they're sharing some of the teachings of Jesus. They get this letter from the Apostle Paul. What do we do with this letter? We read it. And they're reading through the first few chapters and it's all great encouragement and exhortation and yay, yay, amen, amen. And then all of a sudden, bold Apostle Paul acknowledges the elephant in the room. 
these two ladies just can't get on the same page, and I've heard about it. I'm way over here in Rome, and I've heard about it. So I entreat Yudia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree together. I mean, is anyone else floored by the fact that he actually names them? Paul almost never does that in his letters. So it's a big enough issue that he brings it up by name. And again, he's a bold enough, courageous enough leader that he says, this is so important that we need to bring this up. We need to bring him back up. And you ladies, just commit. Just get on the, get on the same page, we would put it. M- Mom and dad, how do you say it to your kids? Go in your room and don't come out till you, till you work it out. Go agree together. Don't come out till you work it out. Mom and dad, have you done that? Yeah, we do that with our kids. I think that's what Paul is saying here to these ladies. Get on the same page, figure it out, agree with one another in the Lord. He begs them. He calls them out because unity in the church is totally underrated. It's totally underrated. Christians need to do a better job of getting on the same page, working it out for the sake of bigger purposes namely the gospel. They work together in the gospel, but they they can't seem to work it out on something smaller. So I I entreat you, and I entreat, it's it's significant. He doesn't say, I entreat you only. He says, I entreat you, and I entreat you. Both people. That's a good tip for conflict resolution. Entreat both. Get on the same page. Work it out with each other. I entreat you, and loyal yoke fellow, come in and help each other out. And then it goes on, to say, uh, because you have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Why does Paul say that? Whose names are written in the book of life. Here's why. Just imagine here. Okay, this isn't the case yet, but Mick, are we on the same page, bro? Yeah. Yeah, I I think Mick and I are on the same page. This is my dear brother. Love him, grateful for him. We're on the same page at this point. But, you know, there might be a point sometime here in the future that, that you don't like something about me. And uh, maybe you're already there. <laughs> and there might be, like right now. <laughs> and there might be a point sometime in the future that you don't like something about my personality or I don't like something about your personality or you don't really like my style anymore. You disagree with something that I say up there. But, but, but here's the deal, Nick. Your name is written in the book of life. And my name is written in the book of life. So can we agree together? Because we're going to be worshiping together for all of eternity. And so why are we holding on to little things? Why don't we drop little things that we hold on to here, this side of heaven, when we're going to be worshiping together the same God for all of eternity? Friends, we need to do so much better. I'm not saying we don't do it well here. I don't know. I've only been here for a minute. But we need to do so much better in the body of Christ in general of doing all that we can to work it out because our names are written in the book of life together. We're going to worship together for all of eternity. So why why don't we work really hard at getting together, committing to each other, and then dropping it for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the fact that Jesus says, oh, you two are both written in my book, and that ain't ever going to change, so get used to each other. Now, I get emotional about this because 
It's so sad. The people hear church and they think they're so divisive. They can't agree together. They can't forgive each other. They hold grudges. No, we want people to hear church and say, those people are different. They reconcile. They deal with their issues. They're bold enough to try. They love each other that much. That's who we want people to say about the bride of Christ. That Jesus loved us so much to reconcile us to the Father when there was no shortage of wrong in us. And so we would love each other a bit to seek to get reconciled, to commit to it, to work it out, because we're going to spend all eternity together. And then finally, as we do so, we drop it. We just drop that argument, we drop that bitterness, we drop the grudge like the 50-pound dumbbell that it is. And I can just imagine there are probably some people in the audience today that are saying, easy for you to say, Adrian, easy for you to say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm dealing with. And that's true, I don't. But it's not easy for me to say, because <laughs> I like to be right, and uh, I don't love to apologize, and it's hard for me to forgive too. And I've had those moments where I'm not on the same page, and I know that I've done wrong, I've contributed to it, and that's hard. Uh, I'll share with you one example. A couple years back, I had some tension with another person in my family. And uh, whenever we were together in the same room, I could feel that tension building, and I felt this anxiety when we were around the table together, and it was obvious to me that he felt some anxiety as well. And we existed like that for a couple years, till finally I had the courage to man up and pick up the phone and just acknowledge what we both knew. And say, listen, it's just obvious to me that we're not on the same page. It's obvious to me that I've done some things wrong here, and I'd like to get on the same page with you. Could we, could we sit down and do that together? And God bless him. He said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to do that. And so uh, I then brought in backup help, Susie, the big guns. Sometimes you got to bring in the big guns, y'all. So I brought in the big guns, and we processed through it for some time but before we... We got together, and then I just had to sit down over chips and guacamole and burritos and admit that I can be impatient, and I can be a type A personality, and sometimes I can bring that impatience into our relationship, and sometimes I fail to be as understanding with you as I should, and so I am sorry. And uh, he received that and, and gave back to me as well. And that whole weight of anxiety that was dwelling on my shoulders. Where do you hold your anxiety? Some of us is in our head. Some of us is in our belly. For me, is big gorilla on my, on my shoulders. That, that whole weight of anxiety just fell to the ground. And there's still challenge that we still have to deal with from time to time. I still have to go and connect with him from time to time. And, and, and we, we don't always see eye to eye. We have very different personalities. But... That enables you to drop it. The fact that we've begun that process will enable us to drop it in the future again Well, when it comes up. It's not easy for me either. It's very, very painful, very difficult for me as well. But 
it's worth it. We just drop it. We don't hold on to grudges. We don't gossip. We don't hold on to bitterness. We drop it. I want to share with you one of the most convicting lines in the whole Bible to me. And it comes from one of the most encouraging chapters in the entire Bible. It's that chapter of the Bible that you hear all the time at wedding ceremonies. And you see it all the time in posters and on coffee mugs. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And right there in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep record. Love works it out. Love admits failures. Love asks for forgiveness. And then love drops it. And that's what we can do for others, which will enable us to have peace with them. And I know some of you will say, but, but it's still not right, Adrian. They didn't apologize for everything they did wrong. By the way, nobody has ever apologized for everything they did wrong. They didn't really mean it. Drop it. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for conflict and bitterness to end like the dead weight that it is. You ask, but they're not willing to gain peace with me. They're not willing to reconcile. They're not willing to admit their part. So we can't have peace together. And I agree. That's true in that instance. You can't have peace together if they're not willing to acknowledge their part. And so there we give thanks for the words of the Apostle Paul once again from Romans chapter 12 that say, as much as possible, hold on to this, as much as possible, so long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it is possible. Therefore, we acknowledge that some things will not be possible for us to break through. Because of other people's pride, we may not be able to break through everything. But as much as possible, because we're in the same body of Christ, because we believe in bigger things that matter more, because we're in the same family, as much as possible, so long as it depends on you, go out of your way to live at peace with all people. And some won't do it. Some of us in this room won't do it because of pride. And the challenge for every one of us is to just acknowledge this is what God invites us to, and I can't go all the way for anyone, but I can do as much as possible. The door to every human soul is locked from the inside. So you can't force someone else to acknowledge their peace. They have to come to that on their own with God's help. And you might be able to help by your humility by your love, by your attempts to reconcile. But you cannot force that because they have to come to that on their own with God's help. The door is locked from the inside. We simply acknowledge, I'm going to do whatever I can do because it's that important to Jesus, it's that important to the Father that he was willing to go all the way to the earth and all the way to the cross for my sake and therefore as much as possible so long as it depends on me, I'm going to seek peace. I promise to do that with all of you. I pray that you would do that with each other. I pray that we would do that in our small group communities. I pray that would be normative in our church, that the world might see and rejoice. That is different. This is part of God's prescription, part of his answer to our anxiety, at least in our relationships.
we'll continue to go forward with these in the weeks to come. But I'd like to pray for you to this end. And before we do, I'd like to ask that you would stand with me. And let's all read John 16, verse 33 together. This is what Jesus wants for us, okay? We're all in this boat together, and this is what Jesus wants for us. Would you join me? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in you we can have peace. It's hard to believe it at times. But we take by faith that in you we can have peace. We'll have tribulation, we'll have trials, we'll have suffering all over this world because it is utterly fallen. But we ask God that you bring us closer to you and closer to one another that we would have peace. Lord, would you grant us the courage, the bold courage to seek peace with one another? Some of us have heard something today that we are responding to right now. We need to do business with God and seek peace with another person. Lord, would you do your work in us? We admit that it'll be hard. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your help. We admit we can't do it our own. And so we need our Lord Jesus Christ to come and help us. Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the credit for the reconciliations that you bring about. Be careful to give you the credit when you enable us to forgive and enable us to say, I'm sorry. Would you do a work in us? that all the world may know that we are forgiven by God and therefore we can forgive others. We love you, Lord. We give you thanks and glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.